You have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Serafine. Welcome to Liberty Lighthouse. Today is Friday, March 20th, 2020, and this week we're going to talk about obvious, blatant, over-the-top media bias. Wrote an article, sort of on the subject, back in July. Got a couple of guests that are going to join us this week. So, why don't we get this show on the road? Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. With your Liberty Lighthouse keeper. Your beacon of common sense. Your wiki, if you will. Peter Seraphine. We urge you to join the conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. And sign up to be a member at liberty-lighthouse.com. That's right. Call or text the Liberty Lighthouse with your questions, comments, and concerns. And let's talk about media bias. So I mentioned that I wrote an article back in July. The article that I wrote was about propaganda backfire. I didn't vote for President Trump the first time around, but I most likely will this time around. And a big part of that is because of what I consider propaganda backfire. My logic has been that if everybody in the media and everybody in Washington, D.C., on both sides of the aisle, all hate President Donald Trump with such vitriol and get in his way with everything and call him a racist and get just pitch a fit every time the man does anything, then he must be doing something right. The piece de resistance, the thing that threw me over the edge, was watching uh, the mainstream media try to convince me that the Trump tax cuts were only for the rich and that it was for rich people and corporations and that the rest of us didn't benefit at all. I did the math. In 2016, before the tax cut, my tax was 10%. Now, when I say my tax, I mean forget all the deductions and all the credits and all the loopholes and all that other crap. I'm looking at how much money I made gross income, not adjusted gross income, gross income, and how many dollars in tax I made or paid and divided it out. So in 2016, before the tax cut, I paid 10%. 2017, I paid 10.6%. And then 2018 was the first year of the tax cut, and I dropped down to 7.2%. So I dropped my tax that I have to pay by 3.4%, and I am not rich, and I do not own some big fancy company. I am firmly in the middle class of America. And then last year, again, uh, 7.5%. So I sat there for months and I watched the mainstream media lie to my face. And here it is two years later, and they have yet to acknowledge that they lied to my face. Therefore, I no longer trust the mainstream media. I suspect after you hear the two guests that I have on this show today, both of which have worked with mainstream media, you're not going to trust them any more than you do right now either. Our first guest today is Naresh Visa. Now, Naresh is an author of 
uh, I believe, three best-selling books. And he is owner of his own business, and he's a successful guy. His most recent book is Trump Book, How Digital Liberals Silenced a Nation into Making America Hate Again. Now, this is not a pro-Trump book. Don't let that title fool you. What this book is, is basically quantification of an old P.T. Barnum quote. There is no such thing as bad publicity. Naresh looked at some uh, AI, some artificial intelligence data, and then he, well, you know what? Let's just let Naresh tell you what he's got to say. All right, Naresh, thank you very much for joining us in the Liberty Lighthouse. And we are talking about the media and and how sometimes things don't work out exactly how the how are planned. You wrote a book called Trump Book, How Digital Liberals Silenced a Nation into Making America Hate Again. The the premise that, that kind of started you off on the book, I find very interesting, and I think it fits right into our conversation. So why don't you give us a little bit of that? Yeah, well, the book is based on Trump's victory in 2016 and the role that online and digital media played in getting Trump elected. It was not Trump's supporters who just got him elected, but it was also his detractors. It was the people who wouldn't stop watching him and posting about him on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, they wouldn't stop talking about it, about him at the water cooler. They were literally obsessed with him. Um, and so he was able to build up just a huge, huge following of haters and lovers online and digitally. And he did a masterful job of building up that following and at getting people to react to him. So artificial intelligence entrepreneurs, they developed machines that found that political, at least presidential winners, the way they win is by winning online and digital based on engagements. So not necessarily doing what Michael Bloomberg did where you just buy a bunch of advertising and hope that people are going to vote for you, but this is based on engagements, people actually mentioning your name and talking about you. This this data point has been 100% accurate in predicting U.S. and global elections, and it predicted Donald Trump winning the Republican primaries when he wasn't even a top five candidate. It predicted him defeating Hillary Clinton based on digital engagements, uh, and this is all based on data that showed that he was even – he had even higher engagement than Obama had in 2008 and 2012. Obama had incredibly high engagement, which is why he likely won in 2008 and 2012. So my book, Trump book, goes into the data. It talks about why Trump became so popular, why he built up such a large following. And it also goes into details. I have an entire chapter dedicated to the news media. Now many people call it the fake news media. But even before it got that nickname of being fake, I go into details on really why people are better off not reading or watching the news media, why I stopped about five years ago reading and, and watching the news media, and um, and how the news media helped elect Donald Trump, even CNN and MSNBC and all his haters included. Well, I, I personally um, try to get a balance uh, I try to look at both sides and listen to both sides, uh, but it's hard sometimes because it's it's plainly obvious that the uh, the so-called mainstream news 
really doesn't like President Trump. There, there's a uh, a political bias. I mean, it, it's human nature. We all have our own personal political biases, and I think that we expect better from the news media. We expect them to be able to remove their own political bias while reporting the news, but they obviously can't or choose not to. Um, you watch a report, and, and there's three seconds of facts followed by five minutes of commentary, which is fine if it's a commentary show like this. This situation right now, this is my show. I can I can be biased because it's my show, and I'm not claiming to be a news outlet. Well, I'll tell you this, Peter. The, the fact of the matter is being unbiased does not bring in eyeballs, comments, retweets, likes. That's just the way human – it's kind of like being a moderate, that won't get you votes. You need to be a Republican or you need to be a Democrat. You can't be a third party. You need to be on one end or the other. You need to stand for something. And in the case of media, I come from that industry. I went to one of the best uh, journalism schools in the country at Syracuse University. And I, I actually am an ex-CNN, not an employee, but an ex-CNN producer, uh, worked for them, uh, contracted out to them, producing financial radio shows back when they had CNN radio. And I just lost faith in the profession. Again, this is this whole fake news idea is nothing new. This has been going on since the beginning of human time. And it's all about the eyeballs, 2008, 2009. That taught us that news companies are businesses. And they are all about the, the page views and the ratings. And in order to get those ratings up, being unbiased, unfortunately, that's not what people are interested in. There's a reason why Fox News is the highest rated network on cable television. And it's been that way for the past several years by leaps and bounds. This is more than ESPN, more than CNN, more than MSNBC. Um, but there's also a reason why liberal news media, why people um, like reading the liberal news media or watching the liberal news media. And so the point that I'm making here is as a consumer, you have to be aware. You can't just be blind and say, oh, I only listen to NPR because they're unbiased, or I only watch CNN because they're unbiased. That's not true at all. They're just reaffirming what you already believe, so you think that they're unbiased. And that's how people need to treat the media. They need to be very skeptical of it. And in my case, I stopped consuming it altogether. Well, you mentioned NPR, and I used to listen to NPR. and I still listen, but uh, the, the reason I listen has changed. I used to listen to NPR because – I like the the uh, the external look from the BBC. I, I like the idea of a um, a perspective outside of America. But I never realized how biased NPR was until I personally got involved about a year ago when I wrote my book, and then six months ago when I started this podcast. I thought NPR was relatively neutral, but now that I'm more educated and more involved the bias is, is much easier to spot. If you force yourself out of your own little comfort zone, your own little echo chamber, you you notice it more. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you definitely do, and I think it's important that people who do want to listen to the news, who do want to consume the, the media, they need to expose themselves to everything and see uh, – really understand how the businesses operate. 
And so, uh, look, I came from that industry uh, after my, after I got my master's degree. Uh, I did an accelerated MBA, left after a year, um, and started working at a company that Google actually labeled as a fake news company. So yeah, I actually worked at a fake news company, and our our job was to create. I don't know if you want to say fake or just kind of exaggerated hyperbolic headlines and and um, content. And that's what we did. And I saw firsthand how people react. I mean, you can literally make things up and people will react and believe it. People will believe anything. They will believe anything and they'll pay for anything if they believe it. And oh, I know. That's what I learned. That, that, that's, that's what I learned. So none of this stuff faces me. When it comes to the media and the reporting, because I came from that world and I was even responsible, I'll admit, um, in 2012, when Obama was up for re-election, um, I helped concoct a, a a campaign saying that Obama was going to essentially change the the Constitution and run for a third term. It wasn't a question about him being re-elected in 2012, but the question was, would he run again in 2016? And man, our readers, they went ballistic when we came out with this, with this campaign. They went so ballistic that, uh, ABC News picked up on, on our work. MSNBC picked up on our work. We started, revenue was going through the roof. People started subscribing to our paid products because of all the publicity that we got. I mean, it was bad publicity that we as a company got for essentially suggesting such a thing. But because we got the publicity, people were just so interested. The Obama supporters were like, oh, wow, that would be interesting if he did that. And the Obama haters were literally ready to, to just pay us whatever amount that we wanted to prevent Obama from, from running for a third term. And again, this was, this was basically just completely exaggerated hyperbole. Um, but I saw firsthand how people react. And that's what the news media can do. I remember that story, and and I I, I personally remember um, just laughing it off as well. He can try, but that's never going to happen. I mean, I, I just knowing the fact that there have been thousands, if not tens of thousands, of amendments proposed and only twenty seven ever passed. The, the the idea that a president could get that done by the end of a term is is ridiculous. The one question I have for you is, as an industry insider, so to speak, is. How much of the bias within the news media, I'm sorry, news media, is because of them living in their own echo chamber, and how much of it is just intentional propaganda? No, no, it's. I actually don't think it's the echo chamber. I think the the executives that control these companies, the Rupert Mort- Murdoch, George Soros, these guys, Ted Turner's. They're not, they're not idiots. They don't live in echo chambers by any means. These are business people and they understand how the business works. And I really, Roger Ailes, who, who ran, um, Fox News, he was a former CEO of Fox News and may he rest in peace. He, he was on an earnings call and I, I heard this. I don't remember if it was live or if I listened after, but he said on an earnings call for Fox, I think, um, he stated that he was not in the news business or in the truth-telling business. 
he said he wasn't even in the journalism business. He said he was in the entertainment and ratings business. And that's very different from the journalism business or the truth-telling business. Absolutely. This is – absolutely. And, and again, remember, we're talking about a publicly traded company, Fox, 21st Century Fox, which owns Fox News, publicly traded company. And the executive producer, essentially, for the most watched major cable news outlet comes out and, and says that he's in the ratings business. When I was at CNN Radio, there was a, a manager who I worked with. And when I got started, when I went on site to Dallas, and when I got started, this was in 2009. It was a dire time. And he told me that my job, see, my job as a producer, I had always been told, was to, again, find the truth or to share good stories. Well, he told me, he said, your job is to fill the space in between the advertisements. Very different. Very different. That that actually kind of goes along a little parallel to, to um, a guest I had just last week. I don't know if you listened to it, but uh, Simon Chadwick, another author, said that he had interviewed with freshman congressmen, you know, freshman uh, members of the House of Representatives. And one of the first things that they're told when they get there is, you know, here's your target for fundraising, not how to pass a bill or how to write a bill or how to get anything done. Here's your fundraising target. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it, it's easy to forget, really easy to forget, Peter, that these are businesses and they were struggling by creating the New York Times, CNN almost went bankrupt in 2008, 2009. And then again, before Trump got elected, I mean, Trump actually saved both of those companies, the New York Times and, and CNN. Um, and they're, they're doing extremely well now because of Trump, because of their t- coverage on him. And so the, the mainstream news media does this all the time. Their shows are cast just like dramas to make them more appealing to get ratings. That's what it's all about. It's not about the news. It's not about the truth. It's not about a coronavirus. It's not about a, a, a hurricane that's going to hit Florida. Um, it, it's, and if you under, and I understand that because I come from that world. I, I worked there. They were my clients. I have friends who still work there. Um, I even worked at the fake news places. I did a lot of business with fake news outlets. So even if I didn't necessarily work at a, at a fake news, I don't think it was a fake news publisher, but hey, Google flagged it, all right? And they continue to flag it. But I've worked with a lot of these fake news outlets because they have huge followings and we wanted to advertise on the fake news outlets because they had a really, really good, strong following of buyers. And well, that's it's... why in 2015, I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I, I, I don't waste a single minute watching mainstream news. Uh, once in a while through Facebook, I'll read about it if something pops up, but I, I stop subscribing to all of my newsletters, all of the emails that I get from, from news publications. I just, I, I stopped because I wanted to focus more on myself and improving myself, my family, my situation. Well, it's getting to the point now where it's, it's hard to tell a real headline from a headline from one of the satire sites like The Onion or Babylon Bee. I, I, I've literally seen Babylon Bee headlines recently where I had to take a double take just to make sure it was, it was the Babylon Bee and not a real headline. 
Babylon B is you're, you're absolutely right in that. It, it's hard to see. But but I want to make this point though. I think it's always been like this. I, I think it's now under the microscope because of social media and because Trump kind of uh, branded this idea of fake news. He personally didn't do it, but it was in the age of Trump that it was branded. But I went back and I watched some videos from like the 80s and the 70s, and people were complaining about the same stuff back then. Politicians and, and citizens were complaining about the same stuff back then. And if you go to other countries, if you think the U.S. is bad, holy smokes, go to some of these Asian nations, some of these communist nations, socialist nations. Wow. Like, at least here in the United States, we can find that those one or two news outlets that we like. But there, you're forced to read that one newspaper or watch that one news channel, and that's what you're getting. Well, the I, I don't understand personally why is it that the news industry, for the most part, of course there are exceptions, but why is it that the, the news industry seems to lean so liberal or progressive, whatever word you want to use there? I mean, going all the way back, I mean, the press at the time absolutely hated Abraham Lincoln. They hated Ronald Reagan, and now they hate Trump. Why is it that the, the more right the president, the more the press hates him? Is it really just that they, it's not so much that they hate him, they just want to stand in opposition to something for, for sensationalists' sake? You know what? That's actually a question that I haven't delved into much. It's a really good question because I just kind of grew up thinking or being told, oh, yeah, the, the mainstream press is dominated by the left. It's just a bunch of liberals. And I never questioned why that is. I think part of it is if you look at the journalists and the people running these organizations, they tend to lean very, very left. And journalists in general, um, look, I went to one of the top journalism schools in the world, but journalists are no different from any other employee. They will report what their boss tells them. And they don't really use their brain much. Um, <laughs> that sounds horrible, but they, they just go out and get a bunch of sound bites and put together a story. So the days so, of genuine investigative reporting are kind of gone? Well, even when it comes to investigate, look, you can spin things. 60 Minutes does this often, and there are other news outlets that do this often, where they do these extensive investigative pieces because they're trying to expose somebody, but it's it's a very, very biased investigation. And so people need to, I think as a consumer, you need to use your brain. And I don't know, I, I want to bring that question right back to you. Why is it that most of the mainstream news media leans left? Why, why do you think that is? I really don't know. Um, it, it seems to me our our country is, you know, the population, the people are probably pretty close to 50-50 as far as left or right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, actually, I yeah. think it's more, I'd say it's more 50% or somewhere in the moderate realm with 25% left and 25% right. So it doesn't seem to make sense that the 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 news industry would would be so much more left than there are right. Yeah, and, uh, it's 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 uh, it, it's interesting for sure. But I think that also goes to show that um, that the right needs their outlet too, and Fox News is that outlet, and that's why it does so well. 
it's literally the only mainstream news outlet that leans right. And that's why it just keeps crushing it in the ratings. It's definitely the, the only one, the only mainstream one that leans to the right. All right, let's, so let's go back to your book for a second. So, um, Trump book, How Digital Liberals Silenced a Nation into Making America Hate Again. Now, it is not a pro-Trump book. No. It's just a book about how he got the job, basically. It's a book about how he got the job. It's also a book um, about social media and uh, the whiny liberals and how they helped elect President Trump. And look, until about three weeks ago, all the data was supporting that the re-election was going to be a, a landslide because they haven't changed. Things have not changed. Now, I mean, really, the, the world is up in flames. So we'll have to see how this works itself out. But but the book, it's, it's I would call it, it's not a pro-Trump book. I would call it an anti-liberal book, an anti-digital liberal book. That's really more of what it is. And I think um, a lot of even liberals have gotten – look, the, the Democratic Party has became divided after the 2016 election. You had kind of the Bernie Sanders crowd, and then you also now have the – now it's the Joe Biden-Hillary Clinton crowd. And uh, that division was largely caused because Democrats kicked out their own people. Uh, the, the Bernie bros, they basically said, oh, all you other people, we're either going to leave the party and not vote in the election – or you have to leave. Like, you're not welcome to be a Democrat. And so um, that type of vitriol, that type of hatred, it was encompassed throughout social media. My book, Trump Book, covers all of it. It, it goes into detail on all of it, and it, it responds to some of the most outrageous digital liberal posts that, that, that we've seen. Well, my uh, opinion of President Trump or I don't even want to say my opinion of him. I still think he's an ass, but he does some good things. My, uh, the, I don't know how to say this. I guess why I will probably vote for him next time. It's all about how if, if everybody on the left and everybody on the right and the entire establishment of Washington DC hates this guy so much, then he must be doing something right because Washington's been broken for so long. Absolutely. If ev- if everybody wa- in Washington hates him, then he's trying to, you know, shake some stuff up and get something done. The one that got me the most, the the thing that really pushed me over the edge that made me go, yep, he's got my vote, was his tax cut. And all of the major news medias, Fox excluded, all of, all of the mainstream media, tried to tell us all that it's a tax cut for the rich and the corporations, and that's it, and the average person isn't going to see a thing. Well, in preparation for this episode, I pulled out my last four years of tax returns. I ignored all the deductions. I ignored everything. The only thing I looked at was my gross income and how many dollars I had to pay in taxes. My tax rate went down 3% for the last two years versus the two years prior to that. So right there, big, bold-faced lie, because I am not rich. And my taxes went down. So that means that all of the major news outlets were just lying to me. Yeah, they were either lying or they just didn't know. And, you know, that's one of the problems is we don't even know what's real. We don't know what's real. We don't know what's fake. Um, it's, that's why I, I take the pack of I have an accountant. I know most people don't use accountants. I have an accountant, and I let him handle it. And with, with other things, I just don't even want to know. 
I, I just don't follow it and don't even want to know. And look, I, um, I've always, this is just my philosophy. I think a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I've always been pro business. I believe that the lifeblood of people's livelihoods come from their jobs, their, the, the ability to stay healthy and education for their children if they have children. I think those are the three most important things in in life because let's face it we spend most of our lives working that's that's just a fact of the matter in in most countries people spend most of their lives working and that's because of they, they want to make money because they need to feed themselves they need to live their life and so to me i i feel like a candidate or somebody who's very pro-business and pro-economy and um a candidate with that type of background is is my type of candidate. I think that should be everyone's type of candidate. It just doesn't make sense why you wouldn't want someone like that. And so going back to George W. Bush, like George W. Bush was a businessman, and I was just very comfortable with him because, look, I'm a businessman myself. Uh, I run a company, Push Media and Marketing, and I'm also a real estate investor. And it takes a really, really high level of of leadership to lead your employees, to lead your workforce, to understand the nuance of politicking with affiliates and partners and vendors. And I, I just feel like good business people, whether you're on the left, like Michael Bloomberg, or even Mitt Romney, you can say is kind of on the left now, um, whether it's one of those people or on the right, like, like Trump or, or George W. Bush, I just have a great respect for those types of individuals, and I think they're real leaders. They're true leaders who are more ready to to, to lead anything. It doesn't have to even be a government organization or or um, becoming president of the United States. They just have that experience. Whereas the other folks, they they don't know how to balance the checkbook. They don't. I mean, I can't even imagine if if like uh, Obama or I thought Obama did a terrible job. Uh, while he was president when it came to the economy. And you can kind of see when Trump came in, he just got rid of everything Obama, literally just whatever Obama did, crumpled it up, put it in a trash can, and um, just the economy boomed. Absolutely, three weeks ago was the the greatest economy in, in human history, really. Um, and so I, I just think that goes a long way, and and people need to pay attention to that. I agree. And uh, as you said, you know, three weeks ago, the economy was fabulous. And, of course, now the coronavirus shutdowns and, and supply disruptions and everything have, have uh, kind of crashed the economy, so to speak, uh, or at least the stock market, not the economy yet, but it's coming. I, I really wonder how much of the media's hyperbole and, and their desire to make Trump look bad may have been the reason that they covered things the way they did. My timeline of the coronavirus here in America, as I see it, is, you know, January 31st, Trump puts in those travel restrictions for anybody who's been to China in the last 14 days. And everybody calls him yeah. a calls him a racist. And keep in mind that January 31st was still in the middle of the impeachment stuff, so that the impeachment was yeah. getting 90% of the news coverage. Yep. Yep. And then I remember when he did that. I remember when he did that and I and I told my wife, I was like, Wow, this is actually kind of surprising. I don't know why he's doing this. 
like, I just, I kind of made that comment. And now looking back at it, it was like, whoa. I mean, that's some pretty One of the best things anybody could have done. Yeah. Now, two weeks after he did that, everybody was screaming that he wasn't doing enough. So, and then, you know, he, uh, he appoints, uh, vice president in, in charge of, of the, uh, organization. And they say he's not qualified. Well, he's not the doctor. He's just the head, the figurehead. You know, he's surrounded by the people that are doing the jobs. Yeah. And then, and then they show the people that are doing the jobs and, and, you know, the media scream that it's a whole bunch of white men. Like, I don't care what they are. If they're the best people, if they, if they're the best virologists, then they're the right people. I want to talk about that a little bit more because I'm a person of color and you know, with the name Naresh Visa, I, I would never have guessed. <laughs> and and I'll tell you, as as a person of color, um, I've never been handed anything because of my color. In fact, I come from a race. It, it's the most successful ethnicity by by income, most successful in the country. Our median income. I'm from India. Uh, our median income is $110,000 north. It could be $120,000 for for a household. For an Indian living in America. For an Indian living in America, absolutely. Okay. And and I this whole you know Joe Biden saying I'm going to I'm going to put a woman as my VP, I'm going to put a, a black woman as a Supreme Court justice. Um to me, I just think how can you be so blind? Like how about picking the best person? When I'm running my company, I'm completely blind to whether I'm hiring women or men. Completely blind. Because I go on the internet and I found people to hire and I hired the best people I could for the job. I didn't care what, how old they were. I didn't care, care if they were men, if they were women. If I wanted to hire a reputation management expert, I went on the internet and I tried to find the best reputation management expert I could. And, and if I found two candidates, I would pick the one who who I had to pay less. That's how that's how most people operate. When you go to a store and you need to buy toilet paper, okay, and there are two different stores that have toilet paper, you're going to go to the one that's either closer to you or that has the cheaper toilet paper. You're not going to buy the black one because the black one is better or or the, the yellow one because the yellow one's better. And to me, it's just, it, it, it's ridiculous that we have to keep talking about um, we have to keep talking about diversity like this when in reality, no one's trying to be racist. They're just trying to, they're just trying to get by. They're just trying to hire the best person possible for the job. And, and that's how I run my business. That's how most businesses have been running. And look, I, I actually did an analysis, uh, at the end of last year when I closed, when we closed our books for the year to, I, I had to send out 1099s to, to our contractors. And so I found that the men worked more than the women. Or sorry, the men made more than the women. And when I looked into why, it was because the men worked more than the women. And it's also because the men asked for raises, whereas not a single woman has asked for a raise. Whatever we decided two years ago, three years ago, they're still getting paid that amount, whereas the men said, hey, can I get X amount of dollars per hour more? And that's why I paid more, not because they're a man, but because they asked. And this all just gets lost in translation when you hear political leaders like Biden and Hillary Clinton talk about 
this income gap between this gender gap uh, in income inequality or uh, positions in, in government or corporations. It's just a bunch of baloney. Well, I, I think that the racism that does exist in our country is exacerbated by the fact that people keep talking about it and they keep dividing voters by groups and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's a little off topic. If we go back to the coronavirus coverage stuff, so did you know that since Mike Pence was put in charge of the Corona Task Force or whatever their title they're giving themselves, that he and all of the heads of departments have gotten together and given a press conference every day? It, it's, it seems like that. I, I didn't know it actually was, but it yeah. literally – now it seems like every, like, eight hours. It, it might be. But, I mean, ever since Pence took over, that was one of the things he said. He's like, this is a big deal. We need to be in front of it. We need to stand out and give a press conference every day. So they stop their day, and they get all those department heads, and they give a press conference every day, and they stand there until the press is done asking questions. But I never see that on the mainstream news. All I hear on the mainstream news is how how this is getting all botched up. That's all I'm hearing right now. And that's, again, there's nonstop. Look, the country's on lockdown right now. And people are at home watching the news because they have nothing else to do. I said, before you called, I had to run to the liquor store because they're closing today and not opening again until the governor tells them to. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Well, this is this is the finest hour for the news media, and I'm not one to fall victim to the news media. I haven't even turned on the TV. Um, the last time I turned on the TV, the, the Democratic debate was going on. I I almost fell asleep watching that, so I barely even watched it. I couldn't couldn't concentrate. So again, I'll, I'm not falling victim to, to any of this stuff. Okay. Before I forget, why don't you tell our listeners uh, how they can find your book or how they can uh, reach you if they want to talk to you? Yeah, visit NareshVisa.com. You can also go on Amazon, get the book, Trump book, and I'll even offer it free of charge. Look, I'm I'm not looking to make money off anyone here. So if, if people want a free copy of Trump book, How Digital Liberals Silence the Nation into Making America Hate Again, just uh, visit my website, NareshVisa.com, get on my mailing list, and send me an email through the site or find a way to get in contact with me through the site. I'll send you a free copy of the book. That's great. I appreciate that. And uh, let's just to be clear, it's N-A-R-E-S-H-V-I-S-S-A? Yep. Dot com. That's correct. Okay. So there you go. Get a free copy of Trump book, How Digital Liberals Silence the Nation into Making America Hate Again. Uh, anything else that you want to talk about before we I let you go for the day? Well, I'll tell you this. This coronavirus has I, – I just can't believe that in a matter of 12 years, it, it's funny because – or it's not funny. It's just actually really sad. But when when the financial crisis happened, that was a moment where everyone, people were like, this is, this is something that's never going to happen again in our lifetimes. And it was, I was a student at the time. I was a, not just a college student, but a student of the financial crisis. And I saw what was happening. And I told myself, I said, the next time something like this happens, I'm going to be ready. And the thing that I learned was 
whoever has cash during these times, they become the kings. And so, um, really, I, I brought up three weeks ago, the economy, stock market was at an all-time high. The economy was absolutely booming. Um, just the consumer confidence was so strong. And I was just wondering, like, man, how can an economy keep going up like this? It's been 11 years, 12 years since we've had some kind of a recession. Like, there's nothing fundamentally in the economy that's going to bring us down. It's just going to keep going up. And it literally took a panic and a fear. Not even, I wouldn't even call it an epidemic. Uh, it is, according to the WHO, it is an epidemic. But it's, it's more a panic and a fear that has changed the global economy in a matter of three weeks. I've, I've never, this is even, this has been exacerbated way more than the Great Recession, than 9-11, I mean, the United States in another week is going to be on complete shutdown. Whereas after 9-11, you know, airlines opened back up after a few days. Restaurants didn't even close down. A lot of most places, schools didn't close down. I know I still have to go to school the next morning. Um, and then even with the financial crisis, everything, pretty much the only people who shut down were the companies that went out of business. But in this case, it's literally the United States is going to be a ghost. It's going to be a ghost country in, in another week. And again, it's, it's because of fear. It's because of, of the news media. And, and, and there are people who, who are getting sick from this virus. We, we know that, but the numbers are not where they're not where I think where they should be to be, to think that the world's coming to an end or that the country is just going to be completely collapsed. But the point that I'm making is so much is changing. Industries are going to be changed. Jobs are going to be changed. And I think when, when the U.S. goes through periods like this in 2001, 2002, 2008, 2009, it always comes out better and stronger and more efficient and takes several steps forward. If you think about 2009 and what's happened since 2009, we think about the the iPhone. Uh, the iPhone had just come out when the financial crisis hit in 2008, but it really hit the mainstream in 2009, 2010. We think about the iPhone, iPad, smartphones. We think about Uber. We think about apps in general. I mean, apps weren't even around before 2009. We think about how our life has improved. We're looking at self-driving autonomous vehicles. I mean, there's so much to look forward to. And for, for those listening, I think we're going to get through this. I think we're going to be fine. And um, I just wish everyone the best of luck. Amen. Um, the world is definitely going to change. And, and I have to say my real fear in all of this is a power grab. Um our, I know I was going to say our government, but governments in general typically don't waste an opportunity to grab power. And it scares me the idea that, that they grab power and then not give it back. And so that's, that's a wait. That's one of my fears. That's one of my fears with this because if it does come back, if we look back in August and we see that, you know, 
less than uh, 20,000 people died from this virus, and it, it just wasn't uh, th that bad. I don't think the U.S. citizens are ever going to be able to forgive the government ever again, uh, at least a large chunk of them. I don't think they're ever going to be able to forgive um, our government leaders, their local leaders, the the healthcare industry. Um, it's just they're not going to be able to do it because, like I said, we're I mean we're entering like a, a depressionary. We're entering it essentially. If if the U.S. didn't come and and take all these measures, the government easily we would have gone into a depression, easily, because the country shut down, and eighty percent of the country doesn't even have enough money to cover uh, an extra month worth of of rent plus plus healthcare expense. They, they just don't have the cash, and so if eighty percent of the country runs out of cash. You can see what would happen to the country. And, and like I said, if we look back and if it turns out that this was just a scare, uh, I don't know. Like I, I could see things getting really, really bad on the street. Oh, I, I agree. Um, there's a reason why ammunition is one of the things that's selling out everywhere because there's a lot of people that fear that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I could certainly already, if you look at the unemployment lines, they they wind around. They're miles long. Uh, if you look at the lines, the, the food line, I mean, when I say food lines, I mean, people just trying to go into grocery stores. They're, I mean, same thing. So we'll, we'll see how everything works out. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm hoping for the best. Uh, but then at the same time, if, if if the best does happen and this just blows over, well, we've destroyed a global economy because of it. That's true. I mean, if if it does just blow over and there's nothing significant, then yeah, it will have destroyed a global economy. But maybe that will wake up a couple of these countries to stop having uh, economies that are propped up by artificial uh, manipulations of interest rates and all that kind of stuff and go to something that's actually tangible. You're, you're, you are right in that sense. You are right, but but keep in mind that a lot of companies are going to go bankrupt during. Oh, absolutely, lockdown. absolutely. Literally, I mean, they were highly profitable before a day before before the, the panic, so to speak, hit two weeks ago, and in a matter of two months, they're going to go bankrupt because they're not going to be able to pay their bills. Oh, and not just during that. I mean, what about the all the employees who you know they had a job on Monday and then Tuesday? Uh, oh well, now what do we do? I mean, uh, here in, I'm in Pennsylvania, the governor came out Wednesday or Monday afternoon and said that as of midnight, all non-essential businesses should close. So there's a yeah. whole lot of people in Pennsylvania that as of midnight last night don't have jobs. Yeah, it's 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 really really drastic what's happening now, and that's why I brought up like what happened in '08 '09. That was. That was an experience, and I told you I was a student of that. And to be living through this right now, it's, you know, I pray that it's never going to happen again, and I hope it doesn't set a, a very dangerous, bad precedent moving forward. But these are, I mean, this is going to go, it's going to have a chapter to itself in, in the history books. I just hope it has a happy ending. Yeah, I, I, th I think I think it will. 
long term it will, but like I said, um, a lot of people are being taken down with it. Well, Naresh, I think uh, we've been at it long enough. What do you think? Yep, I agree. Well, thank you for coming to the Liberty Lighthouse. I, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed our our conversation. Uh, you can call back anytime. All right. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure being on. Have a good night. All right. Have a good one. Bye. So that was Naresh Visa. Go to his website, NareshVisa.com. That's N-A-R-E-S-H-V-I-S-S-A dot com. Get a free digital copy of Trump Book. And while you're at it, go to Liberty-Lighthouse.com and download your free copy of Progress. Really? With that being done, let's take a little break. We'll be back in about a minute. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Just call 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. Are you fed up with progressive society? I'm Peter Serafine, and my frustration led me to write a short book titled Progress? Really? Progress, really, is about the past, current, and future state of American culture, government, and social standing. I urge every liberty-loving American to visit my website, seraphine.com, and order a copy. Give Progress, Really, a quick read and some serious thought. That was seraphine.com, S-E-R-E-F-I-N-E.com. Order your copy today. You are listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Okay, we are back in the Liberty Lighthouse. That was Naresh Visa in the first segment. Got another gentleman for a great interview here in the second segment, Ed Danko. Like Naresh, Ed also worked for the mainstream media or worked with the mainstream with you. Uh, Ed is a Navy veteran and went to broadcasting school and then worked for NBC, CBS, and CNN. And in November 2016 just quit because he was tired of the BS. So let's start talking to Ed. Okay. So welcome to the show. Now we have Ed Danko, Ed Danko running for uh, city council in Palm Coast, Florida uh, website, votedanko.com. Uh, but what I find more impressive is Ed is a Navy veteran like me. Appreciate that. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank uh, you. Well, thank uh, you for your service. And, I, uh, I still serve my, my country as, an officer in the United States Coast Guard Auxiliary, and I'm proud to do it. I was just going to mention that, too. Um, and you're also involved in a whole bunch of social programs, and I get them all mixed up in my head. I can't remember the Kiwanis from the Lions and the Oaks. And I am a member of the Kiwanis Club uh, here in our city of Palm Coast. I'm also on the board of directors of our Trump Club here in the city of Palm Coast. Trump Club. I had actually never heard of Trump Club until I was looking at your website. There's a lot of Trump Club clubs. They're all across the country. They support President Trump. That's what we do here. We just all opened up an office, a campaign office, to take us all the way through November. Um, if you were here in Palm Coast, you can come visit our office. But in your own city, I'm sure you may find a Trump Club. I suggest you show up for their meetings and, and you support their efforts because they're out there to elect our president uh, to a second term. That's after the uh, coronavirus lockdown is over and we're allowed to go out yeah. again. Yeah, and, and make no mistake about it. I mean, I have, I have absolute confidence under our president and under his leadership and under the quick way he jumped on top of this 
unlike Obama, when he dealt with a little flu virus, he waited until a thousand people died before him and Joe Biden even woke up. Uh, President Trump, you know, he closed our borders. He's taking care of our economy. Today, they're obviously, the Senate just passed the bill. They're going to be passing more bills to help every single American and all of our major companies and our small companies uh, stay on their feet until we get through this. And make no mistake, this is America. We will get through this, and there'll be no better president to lead us back from this crisis than Donald Trump. Well, I wanted to start out by saying thank you for all of your community service, both at the national level and local level. But why we have you here today, Diggy, is, uh, is your previous career, your career in broadcasting. You have a broadcasting degree that you got before you went into the Navy, and then you worked for NBC, CBS, and CNN, all on news programs. Isn't that right? I, I did. I did. I actually spent my uh, – when I got out of the Navy, I worked briefly for the show Entertainment Tonight, and that took me to Washington, D.C. And then I went to work for NBC Nightly News when Roger Moore uh, – Roger Mudd and Tom Brokaw co-anchored. I was based in Washington. I went from there to the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. I spent nine years. Ten years uh, in Washington, D.C. I was the editor of Face the Nation with Leslie Saul and Bob Schieffer. Then I was moved around from various domestic bureaus. I was also in the Soviet Union for the fall of communism. Uh, I've covered a lot of things all around the world with CBS. I took a corporate buyout in uh, 1987 or 88. And then I went to the headquarters of fake news, CNN in Atlanta where I spent eight years, and finally, uh, 2016, November 1st, I had had enough. Uh, two weeks earlier, I went to my bosses. I said, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm leaving. Here's my two-week notice. Um, I knew I would never get promoted further there because they knew I was a conservative, and I knew I couldn't do my job because they were so – they were they not just anti-Trump. They were anti-telling you the whole story. Um, if it didn't support Obama or Hillary Clinton, it wasn't getting on the air. And they didn't care about the truth. Um, they only cared about their political agenda. Um, and it was, it, I just had enough, and I finally just said, that's it. And November 1st, 2016, I walked out. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Today, we were together in the Liberty Lighthouse. We're discussing uh, the obvious bias that is in the news media. Every channel, every program seems to have a bias, most of them leaning to the left. One might lean to the right. Uh, Fox News, of course, being the exception for, for the left leaning. Uh, yeah, that's true. And, 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 and I can tell you, you know, I think CNN and MS, uh, DNC or LSD or MSNBC, whatever you want to call it, they're all also very, very hard left, obviously. Um, but I didn't work at MSNBC. I did work at NBC. But but CNN, I mean, it is so anti-Trump. It, it, all you got to do is turn it on for five minutes, and you can see what they do. They blame President Trump for everything. And I swear, if they could find a videotape that he had returned to Blockbuster Video when it was still in business, that he hadn't rewind, they, they, they would... They would call for impeachment, probably. They're that out of their minds over there. 
Um, although I did see one thing the other night, Dana Bash, uh, their Capitol Hill correspondent, Dana Bash actually praised the president for, for his leadership in this coronavirus crisis. And, and I thought to myself, her days are probably numbered. Um, they're not going to let her get away with that. Well, the funny thing about that is I saw, uh, oh, uh, the governor, uh, governor Cuomo from New York, uh, was, was saying, kind words about the leadership during this crisis as well to his right. brother, the other Cuomo brother. Chris, I, Chris Cuomo, yes, who I Chris. know, has been very anti-Trump, but today the governor of New York was actually saying some kind words, and there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he's going to get a hospital ship, a military hospital ship off his coast, which is really going to help him because New York has lost 20,000 beds in less than two decades, 20,000 beds have vanished out of the state of New York. And a lot of those beds have vanished under Cuomo's leadership. And now we may need those beds. So, yes, he is today he is being nice to the president. Um, no wonder. I guess if I lost 20,000 beds, I'd want to be nice to the guy who can deliver those beds to me. I, I would hope so. A yeah. uh, little, little tiny sidebar that kind of goes along here. Uh, it involves New York City as well as epidemic potential. Um, obviously, the first thing President Trump did that became widely known was uh, ban travel from anybody who had been to China within the last 14 days. The, mm -hmm. the uh, travel restrictions that he put in on January 31st, where everybody called him a racist for doing it. Little story going back to the early 1990s when I was in the Navy, we were pulling into New York Harbor when two gentlemen on our ship uh, came down with chickenpox. We weren't allowed to pull into New York Harbor. We had to anchor in the harbor and wait, and those two guys were quarantined, and they were fed their meals in their quarantine room on disposable plates with plastic utensils and by the corpsman who was wearing a hazmat suit. Like, it was a big deal. And it should have been a big deal. And it's a good thing it was. And, and, and this is a big deal. And finally, thank God, Democrats are beginning to realize that this is a big deal. We haven't heard many complaints about closing the border. But as you know, when Trump wanted to build the wall, uh, we heard tons of complaints. We haven't heard that complaint now. Um, but Trump took action. He took it quick. You know, we, 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 we cut off allowing people into this country, first from China, and then it expanded. And now we've closed the Canadian border even. And this is the right thing to do, without a question of a doubt. And this is why our country has so few cases compared to a lot of other parts of the world. Because this president took action. Again, unlike Obama, um, when we had that last virus, the, what was it called? Sears virus or something? I don't even remember what it was. A thousand people died before Obama even declared a national emergency. Yeah, I think that one was uh, SARS. The SARS uh, virus. Yeah, SARS. Sir, exactly. I, I can't Sears. Remember. I'm thinking of that survival school in the Navy they put it through. Oh, yeah. Sears school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I forget even what it stands for, survival, escape, uh, and I don't even remember what it stood for. Um, that's why that came to my mind. But yes, that SARS virus and the Obama administration 
you know, with, with, with Obama, with Joe Biden, who wants to lead us, you know, basically set on their hands. And yet this president is taking action. But yet today, even today, during the briefing that the president gave, we saw some liberal reporter in the White House briefing room, you know, ask a very stupid question. You know, she, she wanted to know, uh, she said that somebody in the White House was calling it the Kung Fu Flu. And the president said, who? And she didn't know. And he says, well, who's the person? You're saying someone on my staff is saying this? And she says, well, I don't know who it is. And then, and then the president said, well, if you don't know who it is, how do you know it happened? And she just said, well, somebody on the White House staff said it. And he again said, who? And she couldn't answer the question. And he said, well, look, the flu came from China, okay? Next question, please. Let's move on. And, and that's, you know, the example of fake news. And what these folks do is they take something, they make it up, you know, they try to blame the White House, they try to blame the president, they don't have any facts for it, but yet they try to push it out there, rather than focusing on the serious situation that we are now dealing with. And we have we have lots of businesses shutting down and people losing their jobs, and, and we have much more important things to, to worry about than some reporter saying, oh, you called it the Kung Fu flu, which actually never happened. But that, again, is the, the anti-Trump uh, media. Right. And the, what I liked, what I just recently pointed out on Twitter, like where are or where were all of these woke people who, who think that the phrase Chinese virus or Wuhan flu are racist? Where were they five years ago when MERS was, was the term being used for the, the bad bug going around? MERS, which stands for Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. And say nobody called that one racist, and everybody used that phrase. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're 100% correct there. Okay. But it is the media that we're dealing with today. It's the media that I walked out of in 2016. Facts are not going to get in the way of what they consider to be a good story. Right. And that's the question I wanted to get to. Like, even before President Trump, it was, it was this way. This is not new because of Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, but no, that's true. I mean, when you really look back at it, it kind of started during the Reagan administration. Not to this degree, but there were a lot of liberals, a lot of Democrats that were incredibly upset when Jimmy Carter lost to President Reagan. And you can go back and pull it up on YouTube and look at election night coverage on the three major networks, and you're going to see that. Um, very similar to what happened when Trump beat Hillary Clinton. And and they were harsh on Reagan, much harsher than they were on Jimmy Carter. There's and and so it did. I did start seeing this build up back then. Um but now it's gotten to an extreme uh, that I've never seen in my life before. And, and it happened before President Trump even was sworn in. Uh, it happened during that campaign. So what's the impetus? Why is it is the question that I have for anybody that's been inside my, my insider question is 
is it because it's an echo chamber and you're surrounded by so many people of the same light uh, mindset that it just feeds on itself? Or is it because, you know, the, the owners and leadership of the networks want to push an agenda? Is it because, I don't know, the Democrats give them money? Is it, why, why does the media lean so far left? And that's an incredibly good question, and it, it comes from several different areas, so it may take a moment for me to go through them here. But number one, yes, starting with the leadership, um, and if you look at CNN as an example, Jeff Zucker, you know, the president of CNN News, he's incredibly liberal, and he hates Donald Trump. So it starts at the top with Jeff Zucker at CNN, and uh, every morning we, we, we had a we have a briefing in the morning. It's a, it's a conference call. It's to set the day's agenda. And it's between New York and Washington and Atlanta and London and L.A. And so I would always go to the morning conference call, which was on video. And we'd have it in a big room in Atlanta. And we could see everyone else at these other locations. And Jeff would set the anti-Trump agenda. And that's exactly what he did when I was there, and I'm sure that's exactly what he's still doing. So it starts from the leadership. It also starts from the fact that a lot of the older journalists are no longer there. They've been bought out. They've been pushed out. Forced retirement, buyouts, whatever you want. Um, a lot of the old pros are gone. And even though a lot of them were liberal, they they were good at keeping their political views to themselves. I used to have correspondents at CBS who I knew were liberal say, read my script, make sure I didn't put my own feelings and my own beliefs into my story. They were cautious about that. But but those folks are all gone now. So they're hiring a bunch of kids out of college that have come to us from liberal professors and universities that show up and they have an agenda. Now, for the networks, it's great because they're paying these kids nothing compared to what they used to pay. And and these kids show up brainwashed, and they're ready to, to do whatever they're told. And one of the things I did at CNN my last couple of years, uh, before I walked out, one of the things I did was I would train new producers. And so I'd always get, I'd get these kids right out of college that were hired, and they would immediately tell me that, they wanted to cover certain social type stories. They wanted to be the the global warming person or whatever. And 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 they had an agenda, you know, that their college professors, you know, had told them they should be doing. Uh and I said, well, you know, actually what you should be doing is just covering stories that you're assigned and being fair and balanced and honest and showing both sides. And a lot of these kids were, were were like, well, that's not what my professor taught me. My professor said that we have a, a, a social agenda here, that we have to take care of the world. That we have to take care of people because people aren't capable of making their own decisions. I would hear this from these kids. And it was wow. unbelievable. And it was scary. But that's what's coming out of our university. And, and it's a shame. Now, hopefully someday when these kids grow up and they get a mortgage and a car payment and they have their own kids, and they have to actually show up, you know, at work on time and, and, and hope they don't get fired. Uh, maybe they'll come around and, you know, I mean, I guess 
Yeah, all of us weren't that bright when we were, were young kids, I guess. But I'm hoping these kids, uh, you know, develop some of that as they get older. But that's also part of the problem is the networks have gotten cheap, all of them, because television costs a lot of money, and big corporations run it. Like AT&T now owns CNN. They bought it from Time Warner. AT&T is a very liberal uh, corporation. Their CEO is very, very liberal. If you read any of his stuff or watch any of his videos, um, you know, he's walking around with a lot of white guilt. He's what I would call a limousine liberal. Makes millions of dollars, but now he's feeling guilty about it. But he's not giving it up. Still riding around in that limo. So, and then of course, you also mentioned the fact that, that people in that environment, you know, they kind of, you know, they kind of feed off of each other. There's a lot of elitists that work in the media. And these are folks that, 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 that think they're brighter smarter, better than anyone else. Um, you know, these are the people that look down, as Sean Hannity would say, they look down on those smelly Walmart shoppers because they're above that. These are people that are basically mostly incapable of even changing a light bulb between you and me. Um, <laughs> and it's true. It's, it's very, very true. And by the way, I'm the type of guy, I fix most of the things in my house. I've always had my whole life. I've always cut my own lawn. You know, I, I've always done everything myself. Um, it Just it a takes a lot for me to hire somebody. You know what I mean? I like getting my hands dirty, and I'm not afraid to do it. And I'm grateful for all the things my father taught me how to do on my own. But a lot of these people that I work with, they're not like that. Just a couple hours ago, I was pouring concrete for a new flagpole and uh, mulching a flower bed and tilling my garden and yeah, I, I like doing stuff myself. I understand that. Yeah, I was just outside today. We, we, we made the mistake of planting banana trees last year. We had no idea how much these banana trees were going to multiply here in Florida and how they were going to take over. So I spent the day digging up all of these banana trees. Um, right. You know, and, and it was great. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful I'm in good health and I can go outside and get my hands dirty and sweat and and do that sort of guy thing, you know? I lived in Florida for a while. The banana trees do spread like crazy. Oh, my God. Uh, I made the mistake of planting them around the pool. Biggest mistake I ever made. They're, they're just way overwhelming. Um, and the bananas weren't even that good. Uh, so I'm glad I dug them out. Okay, so back on topic here. Uh, sure. so, so there's definitely an echo chamber. Yep. There's There's leadership directive to to point them in a direction um, and what about just sheer business sensationalism like you run a story just because you know it'll get attention regardless of whether or not it's true or whether it's been checked or anything oh sure that that's definitely an issue and definitely a problem because you know networks live on ratings so um you know you get into a frenzy and right now we're seeing a frenzy with this virus where as a producer every day you better show up with a story that can feed off of this frenzy or you may be out of the job. But it was, it's not just this virus. You can go back to, you know, things like hands up, don't shoot. That was another example of feeding off of a frenzy. And, and, and even though it was a false story, even though it wasn't factual, uh, it didn't matter. The facts didn't matter. You know, people are just 
scrambling to get this garbage on television because, you know, it, it just makes, it may, back then it made the police look bad. Um, but when you got into actual facts, they don't want to get into actual facts. And, and that, that's an issue. Before I left CNN, I worked on a story with a correspondent at CNN. And it, it was, it was the beginning of 2016, uh, like three months or four months in, and how the shooting of police officers had increased dramatically from the previous year. And there were all of these actual real hard statistics where police officers were just being shot. And, and, and it was all feeding off of that hands up, don't shoot false narrative. And so at CNN, we had a, we have a editorial board called The Row. And every story has to be cleared by them. And this was a story they would not let us do. They didn't want to admit that their hands up, don't shoot narrative was false. They didn't want to go into it. They didn't care about um, police officers dying, and they wouldn't let us do the story. And 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 that's just basically it. If it's not something that that fits their agenda, um, you're not going to get it on the air. I I can't believe how often. Even after a story is proven false, it lives. It keeps getting getting referenced and keeps getting air, even though it's been uh, debunked and, for lack and of a better hands term. Up, hands up, don't shoot is a great example of that. Even when the attorney general under Obama, Eric Holder, came out and said that was false, the police officer did not shoot this guy who had just robbed the store, who had tried to take his gun. He did not shoot him when his hands were up. Eric Holder, our, his own Justice Department came out with that, and it was ignored. It was barely reported. Because hands up, don't shoot sounds an awful lot better to the liberals that are running these news organizations. Like I said, don't let the truth get in the way of reporting a good story. Even if it's not... Even if oh, it's not man. true. Yeah. And, and and that's really what happens every single day. And that's why you've got to... You've got to take the news with a huge grain of salt. And you have to know who you're getting your facts from. And if you're getting your facts from Don Lemon on CNN... Well, you're not getting facts. Okay, so with all of your years of experience in the news media, what can we do? Like, how do we hold the news media accountable? We we want facts again. I don't mind if the anchor tells me their opinion, but I want them to clarify what is opinion versus what is fact. I, I think you're absolutely correct. I do want to know what opinion is, what is opinion. And if I turn on Sean Hannity or Laura Ingram, and they tell me their point of view, and they're telling it to me as their opinion, I know it's their opinion. Um, as far as the facts go, real difficult to find nowadays, and and that's horrible, but but it's really true. Um, I, I, God, I don't know where we get honest news from anymore. I really don't. Um, because even if you're watching a network like Fox, you're getting a lot of opinion, and some of it's now becoming very liberal. Yeah, I've noticed so, a shift in it lately, too. Yeah, 
it, there really is a shift, and um, it just depends. And some of their people really swing. They go back one way, they go another way. Uh, it, it's real hard to say. Um, you know, I think I think one of the one of the good things is I think we have a president that tweets a lot. And yeah, maybe some people may find some of those tweets a little offensive, but he's telling you where he's coming from. And I think that's a, a, a much better source of news than some of these news operations out there. But finding honest news is very difficult. And the problem is, one of the biggest problems is, like CNN could care less how many viewers they have. Because they don't make most of their money off of advertising dollars. They make it off of cable subscriptions. So you have... You, you have, uh, Time Warner Cable, or you have Comcast, or, or Charter Spectrum. You're paying a fee that CNN will get a slice of, whether you watch them or not. So at CNN, they have about 100,000 viewers during most normal hours during the day. And in the evening, if they get a million viewers watching Chris Cuomo, they're lucky. Um, you know, where Fox may get three million plus watching Hannity, um, but they don't care. It's not the advertising dollars from those commercials that matter. It's your, it's your fee. Um, you know, when you get your cable service or your dish service or however you're getting your television. So the no. only way to send a message to these people is to do the one thing that they fear the most. And that is you cutting your cable. And at CNN, we received continuous updates on what they called cord cutters, which are people that cancel the cable, or cord nevers, which are the younger folks that don't ever get cable. And that's what they feared the most. So cable subscriptions have been going down, and they continue to go down. And that may be the only way to send the message to organizations like CNN is to cut your cable. But cutting your cable, you know, then what do you do? How do you get your TV? You put an antenna on the roof. Maybe you do Hulu or Amazon Prime. You know, the options aren't that great at the moment. I think at some point in time, you're going to be able to get cable a la carte. You're going to be able to say, I want this news organization, and I want these networks, and I want this movie channel. You're going to be able to pick the 15 or 20 channels that you want to watch without paying for the MSNBCs or the CNN. Then that will send the message to them. And it may, in fact, put them out of business. I, I think had, that's closer than we think. I had no idea that that's how they made all their money. I assumed, like any other uh, broadcast industry, that they made a, a majority of their money from from advertising. Now, that's, you don't make a much off... You don't make a lot of advertising dollars on a network level with just a hundred thousand viewers of any average given daytime hour. Um, you know, prime time you can make a lot more money when you have millions of viewers, but but not not during the daytime on cable when most people are at work. And wow. if people are home, if women are home, say moms are home, they're watching the Hallmark channel. You know, guys may be watching a golf channel. Uh, CNN's ratings are horrible, but they survive from that cable thing. They're getting as much as Fox is getting. They also survive because they were smart enough years and years and years ago to take over the airports. 
and provide that CNN airport service, which is very cheap to operate. There's only, there are only a few people that work on that airport service, so they basically take everything that the network does. And then the other thing they did that was smart also is, is they have their CNN International, which is in Europe. And that's a different, that's a different type of operation. That's actually a much better news source than CNN here in America. Um, they compete against the BBC. They have to be a lot more serious about what their news product, and they do a good job compared to what they do domestically here in the United States. So oh, it, we're coming up. Yeah, and I think you can now get CNN International actually uh, on some cable systems. Um, but it's it's a lot of people don't realize it. They don't care about the viewers. It, it doesn't matter. I used to think to myself, we're doing a news show for us. Who's watching? Nobody. Um, you know, a hundred thousand people watching. That's like nothing. And we're talking nationwide. And you go into big markets and turn on local news in New York, Chicago, L.A., Miami, uh, any major city, and you're going to have millions of viewers on a local news show. So, uh, you know, the other thing also is CNN now is owned by a big corporation, AT&T. They can dump tons of money into it without expecting a profit. Right, they can keep it afloat for as long as they want to. As long as they want to, it's a feather in their cap, it's part of their branding, you know, look, we own CNN, you know, and and so that becomes part of it too, and and a lot of folks don't realize that either. Uh, networks will take a loss on something that they think adds a bigger picture to their entire presence, you know, the corporation. Okay, well, the last question I have for you... you know, at least the last one I have in my mind right now. Let's see if we bring another one up. Um, did you work under the fairness doctrine? Was or is that before you started in the well, industry? Well, that, that is something I learned in college, <laughs> and that was a big deal when I learned it in college. Um, I think that's now pretty much. I don't know where the fairness doctrine is anymore. Reagan got fairness, rid of it. Yeah. Oh, did he? Okay. It's not there, obviously. And, and, um, you know, we used to, um, when I first started, I mean, we really made an effort to tell both sides of the story. You know, here's what this guy says, here's what that guy says, and you should make up your own mind. And, and it really was that simple. When I first went into this business, my goal was to tell my parents what happened to them, knowing that they were smart enough to figure everything out out for themselves, and they certainly weren't going to listen to my opinion. Well, that's what the news is supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, the Fairness Doctrine had some significant troubles, and I'm actually planning a, an upcoming episode of the Liberty Lighthouse here where I'm going to talk to somebody who who's uh, a proponent of bringing the Fairness Doctrine back and bringing it back in its original form. I think it's a bad idea, but I, I do think that it could be tweaked quite a bit and might be useful in our current situation. I think anything fair would be useful. Uh, to even get close to being fair again would be extremely useful. One of the problems with the original was it made no distinction between news shows or talk shows or opinion right. shows. Right. So you voice your own opinion even on on a, a 
talk show where you don't claim to be news, you voice an opinion, then somebody else would call in and and say, well, they said this, I want my equal time where I'm calling the FCC. Right. And, and, and there, you know, that still comes to play during election years. I'm being told by uh, people here in Palm Coast who do radio shows that they want to get me in for an interview before a certain date. Because then if they get me in and I'm on their show, they are actually going to have to provide my opponent uh, equal time. So right. I think there, there's still aspects of it that exist out there. Right. There, there are still equal time rules uh, for politicians and, and right. election uh, electioneering, uh, but they're not widely everywhere. No, no. And again, in the news story, you, you know, CNN's going to do a story and they're going to attack President Trump for something they don't like. They don't have to be fair about it. And and that's just it. There there are no fairness doctrine rules that apply. Well, Mr. Ed Danko, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, well, thank you are you. quite welcome. Thank you. Th- thank you for your service to country, your service okay. to your community, and now uh, good luck on your bid to continue your community service on a political level. Uh, Palm Coast uh, City Council, votedanko.com if you'd like to reach out and help Mr. Ed Danko in his and- campaigning. And I'd, I'd like to leave you with two things. If you if you like where I stand, when you go to my website, put, you know, click on that issues tab. You'll see a lot of my positions. I'm a member of the NRA. I support gun rights. I want to make our county here in Florida, our Flagler County, I want to make us a Second Amendment sanctuary county. Um, but if you if you like what you see about me, don't be shy. You can click on that donation tab. I will take your donations. And the other thing I'd like to say. I'm also a big supporter of animals. All of our pets, our dogs and our cats are all rescued. I want people to remember your best friend is waiting for you at a shelter. So go rescue a pet. You'll be glad you did. Very nice. Ed Danko, thank you very much. You're welcome. Ed Danko, ladies and gentlemen. And if even if you don't live in his jurisdiction and you can't vote for Ed, well, We need to support candidates in other jurisdictions that believe the same things that we believe, that are there to support our liberties. This show has been far longer than most of the episodes of Liberty Lighthouse, so I'm going to call it a night. Until next Friday, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call 64 my rights to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about Liberty Lighthouse. And wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated.